welcome to Offwatch, a podcast by the Ocean Race. So far in this series, we've heard a lot from the sailors about what they're doing as we count down to the start of the next edition in 2022. But what about the others? What about the onboard reporters? Well, my guest this week is James Blake. He was an OBR in the last edition and was on board with Team Axinabel, Vestas 11th Hour Racing and Turn the Tide on Plastic. And he's finding some incredible ways to keep himself entertained, namely taking half an America's Cup catamaran and an emergency kite from a VO65, something I didn't even know existed, and putting them together to try and build a new type of ocean-going boat. Also, he talked to me about what it was like to try and interview those sailors when they're at their lowest point in the Southern Ocean. Some people get to experience the race as fans, possibly from miles away. Some people on the shore, perhaps watching friends, family competing in the race. Some people get to do it for real. Now, James Blake has done all three. As a three-year-old, he was there when his father, Sir Peter Blake, won in incredible style in the 89-90 edition on board Steinlager 2. And he said that his father told him that you cannot put your elbows on the table until you have gone round Cape Horn. Well, for the 2018-19 edition, James Blake did that. He rounded the planet as an onboard reporter for the race. There, in the roughest of the conditions, camera and notebook in hand. Uh, James, thank you for talking to me today. Um, you haven't, you didn't get your position as an onboard reporter for the race because of your heritage. I mean, you've been there doing extreme and adventurous wildlife reporting, you know, from the from some quite incredible locations. But I wonder what's it been like in the setting of the race, in sailing in general, with your father's legacy still still burning so strong? Um, well, I think for me, it was, it was something as a young kid that I was always actually quite nervous about, even in oppies and stuff, when you go out sailing and you have your dad there on the shore um it was quite a you know it that was quite a big thing to have have watching you i guess um so i always kind of shied away from kind of dinghy racing and stuff and i prefer prefer to go windsurfing or kite surfing something that was a bit, bit more my own and i think after you know after after he was killed and you know a few years a few years later um is is where i started to get back into sailing from just to experience it. And the Volvo for me was just such a good opportunity to put together what I'd done as a cameraman and to get back into a bit of the sailing world to, for me to experience a bit of what he experienced. Um, you know, and he spent so much of his life doing this race um, and, and not just the race, but so much of his life at sea. So that was, that was something that was really quite special for me to to go out and to you know meet with these other sailors that um you know dad was obviously had a big influence on some of them um you know some of them even sailed with him um so it was um you know that was something that was quite special was there anything th that made perhaps i mean maybe something that made a little bit more sense when you were out there and you could see it, was there something you thought, yeah, this is, this is what he used to talk about. This is what he, I could see that light burning in his eyes. <laughs> yeah, I think um, it definitely was. I mean, you know, the first 24 hours, 48 hours, especially when it was rough, 
um, is always pretty miserable, I think, because you're, you know, you're having to try and send off these, these films straight away and you're just chucked right into it. And for this edition, sometimes with a new crew. Um, but then after that, you really kind of get into it and, you know, being at sea, um, whether it's a storm or flat calm water and being with a grid crew, um, you could, you know, you, you, I started to get an idea of why he loved being out there so much um, and why he did what he did. Well, you say you weren't initially into uh, sailing maybe or, or competitive sailing at least, but you've, I mean, you've been out there, you know, on some pretty cool adventures. I mean, one of the ones when I was, when I was looking into your backstory, one of the ones that really stood out for me is, um, I mean, let's just say you're not, you're not afraid of a little bit of hardship. Four people in a very small boat rowing, you know, the the across the Tasman Sea, double the length of the Sydney Hobart, you know, from Sydney Harbour Bridge to Auckland. What was this, 51 days? You know, that's that's got to toughen anybody up. Yeah, it was 50, 51 days land to land and 54 days down to Auckland. Um, and first of all, ocean rowing is a, I'd say quite an odd sport and something that I wouldn't have probably seen myself doing when I was a bit younger. Um, and during it, I probably didn't like it that much. There, you know, you go through such highs and lows and just like on the Volvo, you go through highs and lows, but this, the rowing was something else, especially the Tasman Sea, because, um, we kept getting pushed back just by storm after storm after storm. Um, and there's I mean, did, nothing did, did, you can do in a rowboat. You just got to, put out a sea anchor and, and sit there. Well, I mean, wasn't there a point, correct me if I'm wrong, but sort of early on in this trip where you were spending three, four days hunkered down in the bow and the stern cabins while the, the sea sort of raged away? Yeah, so there's two cabins at each end of the boat that's kind of just bigger than a coffin, I'd say. You can just about squeeze two people in there. Um, and the longest time we had crammed in there was nine days. Um, and that was a horrid time. We had nine days, five days, four days, and then another four days and then three days in there, um, just being pushed backwards. And you could just watch yourself on the track, you're going back and then you'd row for three days, just get past that point, hit another storm, go back again. Um, so that was a very interesting experience. And, um, I, uh, yeah, I learned a lot about myself. Um, I think doing that, um, and uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, in your coverage of the race, does something like that give you a perspective that you can apply? Because we, we hear a lot about the sailors and we hear about how tough it is. But obviously you are central to conveying that to us when we are watching from the shore. You're putting a camera in someone's face. Does it help that you go, look, I, I know what this is like. I know how this can feel. Um, well, it, I guess it, it's slightly different, that competitive kind of nature that the, the sailors have. For us, we weren't racing. We were trying to, we, we got the unassisted record during the row, but we weren't racing anyone. So there was a slight difference there. But the as far as being in a kind of a cramped environment, I think it helped me a little bit. And it, you know, anything that starts a good conversation with the sailors, um, that when you're not filming, um, and then, um, you know, it, it sometimes can open them up a little bit more for when you do start filming, if they, maybe if they know that you've gone through experience like that. Uh, there's, there's a lot more adventures that you've had and some that you're still working on. I want to come to those. But before I do, let's talk a little bit then about that last edition and interviewing those sailors. What was it that 
made it clear to you, I want to be there on the boat and I want to be documenting this? Was it a case of, well, I've done all this years as, uh, you know, working on a cameras, working on oceanography, or was it the pull of sailing and, you know, what your father had meant to you? Um, I think it was a little bit of both. I mean, at, at the end of the day, it was a, it was a job for me. Um, but I think once, and I actually wasn't too sure about it, you know, in all the training and the build up period, it was, um, I wasn't too sure how I was going to get on with it. But then once the race started, that's when it really, I think probably the first leg or the first leg was okay. Then kind of towards the middle of the second leg, that big leg down to Cape Town. That's when I really felt actually I'm I'm going to enjoy this. I know it's going to be tough, um, but I can um, you know I know I'm going to keep on board. Yeah. What was the biggest thing that you had to learn then in that training period? Because it, it seems like well, if you can, you know, if you can descend into a cave on the Galapagos Island, or you know, you can kind of film with sharks, you can handle a sixty-five. Um, I think it's try it's it's dealing with the crew and. Um, you know, quite a lot of the things I film, you go there and, you know, the, the presenter or whoever you're filming has signed up for that job. They know what they're going to be doing. You know, you can repeat things. You, you have that time. Um, so a big challenge was to get to know the crew enough so that, you know, they had a bit of trust in you um, so that you could start to get kind of some more interesting questions sometimes um and 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 have a good time you know you want to be able to get on with the crew um otherwise no one's going to have a good time on board so yeah <laughs> how often did you get rebuffed by the sailors when they just weren't in the mood um not that often i think you know occasionally um when maybe you're pushing something too hard you know it's best just to leave it and walk away um but you know most of the guys um are very good and you know they're professionals um, and you know that's they know they've signed up for that so actually most of the time it, it was fine maybe some of the older older boys um you know threw up a little bit to start off with but um you know once you're actually in there sailing they see what you can do or see what you're doing hopefully they um they open up to you because oh, i was talking to um you know, chris nicholson about this and i think it must be amazing for all the sailors and for yourselves as well we all do that thing where we realize, oh, we had a photograph of that day or, you know, that holiday or whatever. And there's this, all this stuff about this amazing adventure that all the sailors have been on. So I hope now they kind of look back on and we hear an awful lot about what the sailors have to do, how little sleep, how, you know, much hard work, the temperatures and everything. What was it that you were having to deliver? Because it wasn't just take some nice pictures if you can, was it? No, it's, um, I think, well, first of all, you know, the sailors were, were on that four hours on, four hours off, and we were kind of floating doing our own thing. So I think we had it, we definitely had it a lot easier there, <laughs> but it was, um, it was trying to push, you know, obviously there's quite a lot asked of you as far as what you as a cameraman want to produce and send out that day. And then also you have to send out stuff for sponsors, for the team, um, for mixing. So it's trying to juggle everything um, so that you weren't annoying the crew with filming too much or asking too much of them, but also you're getting 
you're getting enough for that output. And, and the, the first thing, a main thing is you're trying to tell that story of what, what's going on on the boat. Um, and then within the kind of the overall big picture of the race. And you put in all that effort and you collect all this amazing footage. And then let's be fair, it, it kind of gets washed through a system where your name, your stamp kind of gets removed and it, in, in, in it, it sort of gets put out by the team or by the race. I'm wondering if, um, are there any shots that you see popping up still and you'd like to kind of go, that one was mine. I was the guy that did that one. Was, was there any ones that stand out? Um, I think as a as as a cameraman, you you know you always like seeing you know your shots being used. Um, but at the at the end of the day, it's a job. So you know, like any other of my jobs, you know, usually you film and then you give them footage, and you might be able to touch it a couple of years later for a showreel, possibly. Um, but other than that, you'll be watching it on TV or online or whatever. So that wasn't too much of an issue. Because you did have some fun. I mean, it was interesting that you, you did manage to get the team to sort of buy into some stuff. I mean, I think we can all say now that for those people that were following the race, one of the things that you were um, well known for, you got a good reputation for, and looking back at your history, you can see why, drone flying. And you on board Turn the Tide on Plastic released a video for flying the drone through the boat. And I think we can say that, you know, this was some clever trickery on your part. But for little things like that, there's not a lot of wind. You know, whose idea was it? Who, you know, where do you sort of go? Oh, guys, look, let's let's all get together on this. Um, well, I'd I'd kind of wanted to do it, and I think maybe a few of the OVRs had talked about it just for a bit of fun. <laughs> and I was going to do it um, uh, with Axo Noble on one of the legs, but you just we just never had the right conditions, and it just happened with Turner Tide. And you know, they were such a they were such a um, good crew to be with, kind of young full of energy so that anything you know that you were asking as long as you weren't slowing the boat down or, or putting them out too much they were very help, happy to help with and the sailors love drones and I think they're kind of all waiting for it to crash possibly you know that's probably <laughs> their main excitement um that they're trying to get um but um yeah that was a that was a good bit of fun a little bit of cinema cinema magic I'd say but okay sea. well yeah that's perfect we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that um because like you say, I mean, all of the, all of the, the, the sailors at the end, I think they all realize how wonderful it is to have this record. You guys as the OBR, you weren't meant to, and correct me if I've got this wrong, but you weren't meant to have any favorites. The plan was to move you guys around the boats so that you wouldn't get too friendly with the teams so that I'm guessing you could still stay kind of objective. How easy is it? To remain objective when you're on a boat with only these people for potentially 21 days, uh, it's tricky, and I, I think it's you know I I I think it's changing for the next one. Mm. Um, so I don't know if they'd ever go back to that again, just because of some of the conflicts that came up. I'd say, um, but I, I think you've kind of you've you've have got to stay kind of a little bit away from the team, but you need to. First of all, and from my point of view, to get really kind of involved as you can, because otherwise the team don't open up to you. They, you know, you've got to kind of become quite friendly with them if you can. Um, so that they, as I said before, you know, there's a bit of trust about what you're trying to do. Um, but it was definitely a tricky one going in between boats. 
Um, and especially if you were changing from leg to leg to leg, um, that was, um, yeah, it could be a little bit confusing, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but, and I, and you know, that was from both parts from the sailors and from us as the OBRs. Um, it was, uh, that was a very odd one. And, you know, some, some boats you'd get on better with the crew, some boats, not so much, uh, and depending on who the OBR was or, um, whatever, but it was definitely, I mean, I, I'm really glad I got to do that because you got to meet so many of the crew members. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, there, we had a bit more flexibility when we got ashore because, um, we weren't with the team and we weren't, you know there wasn't that much going on. So sometimes, not all the time, obviously, but uh, yeah, it was quite nice. And what was it like, you know, when it wasn't nice, when it, when it wasn't a fun interview that you had to do, that you knew that, you know, we've lost a few miles here or something's happened, but the camera's going to have to come out and the interview's going to have to take place. Um, it would depend on the sailor. You'd, um, you know, and every, I think, I, you know, never, no one ever kind of, said no can we you know they, you get the odd moment oh can we just do this later which is fine and that's something that you have to respect but you know some of the sailors um were very open about that which was really nice and that's when you got some great stuff as if they were a bit frustrated but if you had a bit of trust there and you got on with them then they would open up to you even if they were you know they they might have been a bit grumpy or a bit angry i think as long as you don't take it personally mm. you know it's not against you, um, then you'd actually get some really, really great stuff. And what was the hardest bit, uh, the hardest sort of task for you? Was it um, getting out of your bunk? Because as you say, you know, you're on your own watch system. You are your own boss. You know, you've got to produce this stuff for the office, but essentially you can go, oh, you know, laptop's dead. Um, you know, was it getting out of your bunk? Was that the hardest bit? Or was it keeping all of your electronic equipment, drones, cameras dry in these unbelievably wet boats? Um, a little bit of both, really. You know, the equipment we, you know, after kind of the second, third leg, um, we're getting quite good at getting into that routine of, you know, cleaning it and maintaining it. Um, you know, at, at the end of the leg, there was always a little bit of a flurry of all your gear going into one bag as you're trying to get off the, trying to get off the boat. So that was a bit of a sort out. But the... Yeah, I think the hardest part, especially, you know, um, you know, these sailors are working so hard um, doing their four hours on, four hours off, especially in the Southern Ocean. And, you know, actually it's quite tiring to um, get up, get changed, get your camera out, put it in the underwater housing, um, put on all your wet weather gear, get outside, do it, try and do an interview, take a few shots, get back down, start editing, something's happened, you've got to go back up. So there's just a bit of, you know, you're moving all over the place, but it, it was, you know, at the end of the day, it was really exciting. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure you loved it, but there's some real hardship there that I personally just can't quite get over being on deck in, you know, we've seen all the videos of the water coming over and, you know, physically you know, bruised that that's horrible. But personally, I think I'd rather be there in the cold and in the wet than that incredibly cramped corner that they put you in trying to, you know, edit videos on a laptop ready to be broadcasted, you know, that day. Do you get seasick? Um, I, I got seasick 
if it was a rough start, the first 12 hours was pretty horrid. Um, I think cut the first, and I, actually the first, when was it? It was coming from Cape Town to Melbourne. I remember just standing at the hatch and I'd been trying to send off an edit. I think it was about five hours after start, but we were really rough going up um, into the wind. And um, I remember just standing at the hatch trying to hit send on my laptop to send it off. But um, uh, yeah, it wasn't good. And all the sailors just watching me at the hatch as I was going a bit purple and, um, you know, obviously thrown up. Um, and that's not a good thing for the sailors to see because some of, you know, even the, even the, the hardest sailors still quite a lot of them. And I was surprised, um, get seasick. So I think it's something that most people do go through depending on what they're doing. Um, but that was horrid. But then after about, you know, 24 hours or so, um, I was fine. I could sit down there all day on my laptop if I had to, um, but that, you know, that, and we had, we actually had quite a nice little seat. I thought it was all right as far as what what the other sailors got. You know, we had our own desk, which was quite nice, mm. um, and that, you know, that was fine. The, I think the hardest point, and it wasn't when you're cold or wet up on deck. You know, they were the most, they were some of the most exciting points. And maybe looking back on it now, your views change. The worst points was when something went wrong, or you were kind of going backwards, or you know, there's no wind, or something like that. Um, you get this slightly kind of, well, I do, and I got it in the row when you're going backwards, this kind of really down kind of dread feeling um, kind of inside you um, that, you know, you've got to overcome. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it's not a nice feeling. And, I mean, you mentioned the row. You mentioned that horrible feeling of, you know, your distances being sort of unwound. Um, you, It doesn't seem to hold you back, though, does it? Because... You've been out there with the OBR, you know, you did this this row. One of the things that you know, I really, really wanted to ask you about is you say that you're not a dinghy sailor. You, you didn't really want to be a dinghy sailor when you were younger. You mentioned windsurfing, kite surfing as well. So you've been involved with a really interesting project. And I just want to make sure I've got this right. You want to get a high-performance, ocean-going boat powered by a kite surfing kite essentially and i mean you're 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 building this now you're developing this now um yeah it's been an idea um i kind of i had ideas when i was about 18 or so of doing long distance kind of kite surfing and had some drawings that i made up back then um but me and a friend of mine for the last probably seven or eight years have been tinkering with this idea um and um you know we've we've Every time we go out, I think something's broken or we've failed. <laughs> you know, we end up upside down. Just, you know, about a month ago, we ended up in a real big capsize. Um, but what we've found over the last, you know, five, six years or so is that those little failures have been so good for us and we've learned so much. And we're now getting to the point where this thing is so exciting. Um, you know, we can we can hammer it on. We've, only, we've got a 24-foot prototype that we've, we built a while ago and we're just modifying at the moment um so that won't be you know ocean going um it might be it'll be out in the solent soon enough um but then we also um have got one hole from the of the ac45s um that we managed to get from when it was land rover bar um the america's cup team um as part of their sustainability agreement they were either going to chop up the hole or um you know do something with it um so we asked them if we could have it and um yeah we managed to get this 
45 foot carbon hole that we, we, for some reason we put, we built a keel for it, which then we went out and tested it and that didn't work. So we're now just, um, you know, we're going back to our smaller prototype to experiment a bit and we've, we're just kind of cracking down with the control systems and, um, you know, it's starting to work really well and we, and we keep going back to try and simplify it. Um, uh, and, um, yeah, we're, we're slowly getting there, but it's, it's been, it's, it's been a very much a backyard project. Like we're just building it in the, basically in the back shed. Fascinating. I did not realize that all of the 65s had one of these kites as a sort of a last minute backup. And when I read that, I was sort of assuming one sail maker made one as a sort of, yeah, let's, let's sort of try one. Um, so really cool that something like that has been able to bounce onto a project like yours. Maybe it will bounce back as you develop a few things. I'm wondering in terms of getting your, let's call it a craft, uh, across an ocean, has there been anything um, being on board the 65s, being in part of the race? And I'm thinking mainly in terms of, the safety and the security and, you know, the communication that, that if something goes wrong, these are your redundancies. Has there been anything from your experience on the 65s that has stood out and you thought, yeah, I want to take that with me as well? Um, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, and when, when I think about it, you know, going in the Southern ocean, um, you know, when it's blowing 40, 50 knots, you know, I, at the moment, I can't imagine doing that in a boat powered by kite from the safety point of view, basically. So there's so many things that we can learn from that. And a, a lot of it was having conversations with the sailors about, about this kite boat. Um, Cause they, I mean, they always, I think they found it quite amusing, possibly the guys that I did speak to. Um, and, you know, it's having conversations with them about what kind of angles you're going to be doing the safety side of it. Definitely. Um, and, but the, the safety side is, is such a big part for us that we, you know, we've got to be able to develop it so that if, you know, the worst thing does happen, you do fall overboard, that it does dump the kite. And that's what we've just been playing with. And it seems to be working. Um, and, you know, a few other little bits and pieces like that. But it, yeah, as I say, it was these, it was these little conversations that just got you thinking. Um, and obviously there was quite a lot of time to think on the boats. Um, that's, <laughs> that's an important, important time to have. And one of the sailors... That I'm, I'm guessing you, you you would have spoken to about it. Well, I, he's an advisor, I think, for your Ocean Kite project, Tony Ray. Um, must be quite nice to be with somebody who not only has got this huge, I mean, I forget, is it is it five ocean races? Is it seven ocean races? I can't quite remember. Right? Um, but also America's Cup and everything. And of course, you know, been sailing as well you know, did a did an AC campaign under your father as well. I mean, there's a, there's a nice sort of continuation there. Yeah, Trey's been um, a great help. And just, that, I mean, obviously with him in New Zealand and, and me here, we, you know, you don't get to see each other that often. But um, when we do catch up, it's so nice. And I think that connection he had with dad, um, and there was, there's, there's quite a few sailors like that, but Trey's definitely one in particular, um, that it's really nice to even just, you know, chatting with them um, about dad and, and how he used to run things is really nice because, I you know, when, when dad was killed, I was quite young, I was 13. Um, and it's, it's having these conversations and there's, you know, you, there's only a few of them that you do actually have that are really quite special. And, um, you know, some of these old, you know, the sailors that did sail them, like Trey, have been, have been really nice for that. And not, you know, not just for the kite boat, but just for, for 
for, for me personally, um, you know, apart from that personal life, it's, it's nice to hear about that kind of stuff. There was a, um, there was a photo that I remember seeing you when you rounded Cape Horn. And I, and I started this interview with that, that quote that you've, that you've attributed to your father about, you know, being, needing to be there and then done it. And then, you know, you know, actually walked the road. Um, and there's a photo of you, I think, taking a shot of, I think it was T-Max and Abel as you guys come around on, but there's your big grin kind of coming into the camera as well. Did you get a chance to take some of those, those moments for yourself when you're on those adventures, even if you're documenting them for TV? Do you get a chance to kind of, this one's for me. Yeah, Cape Horn was definitely a special one. It's something that I'd always wanted to, to do um, from a very, very young age. And I didn't really think about it. And then suddenly we were just there and um, it was actually quite emotional, you know, the amount of times dad had sailed around there. And he'd always told me stories uh, about, about it. And, you know, it was more beautiful than, you know, than what he could have described. I think it was fantastic. So it was nice to, to take a photo, um, you know, get all the photo of the crew, but then also just to put the camera down and, um, yeah, have a think about, have a think about it and that that was definitely quite an emotional time um as it you know it gets you thinking you know what what he would have been doing today and you know what why and also it comes back to that thing of why he was out there why he loved doing it um you know there's so much wildlife there's, there's so much beauty even in a huge expanse with nothing around you it is just it's so beautiful even in a, you know, in a storm it suddenly gets even more intense um is you know that's that was really special uh, you, you know i remember seeing some of your videos of dolphins leaping out of the water you know close to the boat um was there any wildlife encounters that even with everything you've done as a wildlife um cameraman was there anything that surprised you wow that's big and that's pretty close to us um yeah, I think, I mean, I've done, uh, other than the Vol I mean, I've done lots of whale story. I've done lots of whale filming, um, lots of marine side, but I, I think just the, um, the albatross were, um, that was just so beautiful. I could sit there for days and watch them. Um, and especially when it was Cape Town to Melbourne, when I was on Axo Nobel and we had that, they had that bad jibe and the mast, the main track blew off. Um, yeah. so we had to sit for three days, two days, I think, and fix it. Um, which wasn't good for, which wasn't good for, obviously for team Axo Nobel. Um, but it was, I had such a great time because usually you're up on deck in those conditions and your cameras in a housing, it's quite hard to operate. You can't put on a telephoto lens. Um, but suddenly you're up in this huge waves, but you know, you, I can walk around quite safely and get these, get these shots that, you know, I could have never dreamt of. Um, so that was a really special, special moment. Is, is there something like that? You, you've just triggered a thought in my mind that I don't know what it would be like to be, I mean, let, let's say a war correspondent or something like that, you know, where you're really in something with it's simultaneously, this is exciting and very noteworthy, but also quite scary. Um, when the track went and, you know, I mean, the, the, the footage from Max and the Bells, the sails are getting washed overboard. And I, I, I'm sure the sailors, well, the ones that I've spoken to anyway, were saying that they were all on it. But the heart rate must increase. Your first thought, is it, ooh, I better frame up here? Or is it a case of, hang on a second, I'm not exactly where I want to be? Um, I think it's, 
because uh, it was quite early on to the leg, I think I was definitely like, right, let's cap, let's get the story, let's find out what's going on. But then you you yourself, you're on the boat, so that you don't quite know, you know, how long the repairs are going to take if they can repair it. Um, so you're you're also going through this slightly kind of down um, down point um, that you can see all the crew are kind of going through. Mm. Um, so that, that is definitely quite tough. But from that experience, what was really nice, and you know that it's quite a good team when it happens, is obviously there was a bit of depression to start off with, like maybe five minutes of everyone being quite quiet. But then suddenly a little bit of a plan was formed. Then the humor comes back about 10 minutes later. And then it's just straight back onto it. And actually, you know, that's when it becomes quite special. Um, you get that kind of, yeah, that kind of quite exciting tingling um, going on. And from just where you are in the middle of the ocean, it's, yeah, that, that is really exciting. And, and it definitely gets your heart rate up. Well, and on behalf of everybody that enjoyed um, being able to live that moment without being there, thanks very much for sort of documenting that. Um, I, I know you're, you're actually about to jump off onto a shoot, so I'll just ask you sort of one final question. And it's something that I, I always wonder with the sailors, where they're so competitive with each other and they're, you know, tugging at each other and um, trying to steal the techniques from each other. That might be a bit of a strong word, but you know what I mean? With the OBRs in the last edition, obviously you weren't embedded in a team. They were your your friends, potentially, certainly by the end of the race, but they weren't your, you know, your co-workers. Was there an atmosphere of I'm competing with these other OBRs because I, obviously, naturally, you want your stuff to be the best? Or was there a case of, look, guys, you, you're you're the closest person I've got to a co-worker and you know, you're, you're, you're my company out here for, you know, thousands of miles in any direction. How was that relationship? Um, I, th I think most of the time the relationship was quite good. You know, when you, when you got back into port, it was so nice to see the other guys, to see how their experience was. Um, and, you know, that's when you were colleagues. And there was, there was obviously a competitive nature, but you, you need that um, mm. to, to push each other um, with anyone. Um, but what was quite nice at sea was that um, we could actually chat to each other um, over our media computers. Um, so we had basically like a messenger service, um, which was very funny. Um, and sometimes <laughs> when you're feeling a little bit down, maybe you weren't getting on you know, quite well or whatever, um, you'd suddenly have a chat with one of the guys and you'd be talking nonsense or, and you know, that was very, that was great actually. And that was a bit of a lifeline sometimes, especially as you weren't, you know, as you say, we weren't embedded with a single team so that it was, it was nice having, you know, you knew that these other guys were going through the same, um, guys and girls going through the same. Um, and, um, you know, it's something that once you did get to shore, it was, it was great to, to chat about and, you, you know, you've gone through the same experience together. Well, I'm looking forward to, uh, your many more experiences. Um, it's interesting looking at, you know, the credits to your name and thinking, oh, I've, I've seen that program. Oh, I didn't realize that was, that was James Blake. So for the ones that I know about, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to watch. And for the ones that I haven't yet discovered, I'm looking forward to those as well. And uh, yeah, let me know when you take your um, your big <laughs> Theo 65 kite to the Solent and I'll come down and watch. Yeah, we will do. Fantastic. All right, thank you. All right, thank you.